Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, what happens when your toaster just doesn't want to brown anymore? Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Seth Nelson. As always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. If your ability to maintain your intimate relationship with your partner is one of the bumps on the road to divorce, then you need to keep listening because today we're talking about one of the big ones, your sex life. Dr. Janet Williams is a specialist in gynecology and a member of the International Society for Study of Women's Sexual Health. And as the author behind Why Don't I Like Sex Anymore? The Growing Woman's Guide to Getting Your Groove Back and Claiming Your Truth. She's just the right voice to help guide us through reclaiming balance in our sexual relationship. Dr. Janet, welcome to The Toaster. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Anytime we get to talk about sex on this show, I'm on board. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it should be. That's the way it should Pete, be. Pete, I, Pete, Pete yeah. put, down, put down the cigarette. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> You're the one carrying a drink around, man. <laughs> Dude, it's I, just it's the holiday season yeah. mm-hmm. it's eggnog but there's no alcohol in it it's the middle of the day at work i've got some potential clients i have to talk to later some clients so you know okay you're all above board mr hefner yeah, okay you, so lighten up over there, here's though. the <laughs> here's the question that we that we we wanted to kick off here is the if if uh intimacy is something that is in the way of your relationship uh, we're hoping that this conversation can help shed some light on what you can do to to bring back the spark in your relationship. And if there's something else that's going on, we can't think of a better voice to to help us uh, down uh, navigate that conversation. I mean, the book why <laughs> why I why don't I like sex anymore? Is it like I I search for your book and let me tell you your book title is not the only Google search that answer that comes up when you search for that. That is right. a widely widely uh, circulated uh, challenge that I think people are facing. And so, wh- can we start off with what's going on when people when when uh, when people forget how to love sex? Right. Well, you know, I don't know that it's that we've forgotten how to love sex. It's that there's so many other things that are getting in the way of sex. And particularly for women, um, the way that we approach things is a little bit different for men. And so, you know, a lot of times uh, in perimenopause and menopause around the the age where a lot of women are coming into this realization that I'm not feeling it anymore, there's a lot going on in our lives. So it's multifactorial is the short answer. You know, um, I talk we're, about it. My- we're, we're looking for the long answer today. <laughs> yeah, <I'm sure. laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, I talk about this in the book. It, usually around that time in your life, there's many things going on. Like I mentioned divorce, for example. There may be divorce or separation. You might have kids that are like you're schlepping back and forth to soccer practice and ballet. They might be headed off to college. You might be having some empty nester stuff going on. Aging parents, your body is changing. It's like all of these things. Like if you're if you're in menopause or perimenopause, you're waking up with freaking hot flashes at at three o'clock in the morning. You're not getting sleep. Like who freaking wants to have sex? Like when you're exhausted, you know. So every guy, every guy (laughs) I've ever talked to. (laughs) 
<laughs> Do you know it? Well, yeah, that, that that sort of leads me to another question, though. That yeah. that you know, we hear these. There are like the stereotypes of sexual uh, of, and I don't want to call it sexual peaking. Like, oh, mm-hmm. males peak when they're eighteen or whatever that means, and and right. women peak at a different time. But but there is, isn't there, like a a kind of a, a common sort of. Uh, I, I don't know how does how do we age with sex? Like, is it when you get to the to you know forties, fifties, sixties, are you are your interests naturally ever aligned again, or are just you're just having to fight the the counter curve <laughs> all the well, way to bed? You know, some of that has to do with you know hormones and right. the changes that are, that occur with hormones, and some of the studies don't actually show that it's actually the hormones, but it's what the hormones do, or mm-hmm. and when they're not there. Um, for women in their 40s, a lot of times what we'll see is a lot of fluctuations in the estrogen level. So one day they might be horny as hell and like, mm-hmm. let's go, you know, and the next day they're like, back it up, buddy, you know, like <laughs> we're not feeling it. <laughs> so there's that thing that happens, you know, you might hear, you might have heard that where people are like the best sex I ever had was in my 40s, you know. Um, and then, you know, just a few years later, then you're not wanting to do anything. So there is that physiologic um, part of it that that does take place. And so we can see some fluctuations there. So what I'm hearing you say is Mm -hmm. there is biological things going on in the human body for women and for men as well. And Mm -hmm. then we're going to also talk about the whole emotional connection with your partner or spouse or whoever you might be talking about. So, so yeah, in in the those two of, things have to align, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and that was my that was going to be my question for you, Seth. Which was like, when you talk to people who come to you, by the time they they get to you, Mister Attorney, is is how often <laughs> do they does sex come up in the in the process of a dissolving relationship? Does it ever? I mean, does it come up regular? Or people not really don't really talk about it with you? People, I don't ask, but people will offer. And it's not like <laughs> sure, they'll that's say, the case. Yes. And let me be very clear on what I just said. It's not that I don't ask my clients for sex, but I they mean, offer you're a handsome me sex. Man. That's okay. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is, is I never bring up the topic of sex with my clients, but they will ask me or tell me about it. And a lot of my clients will say, Well, is there a therapist I can go to? Or mm-hmm. what about this? Or what about that? And sometimes, as you know, divorce is stressful. And I will say to my client, depending on the type of client and what we've talked about before, when we're trying to get close to finishing the deal, and I'm like, there's a, there's a, there's a big thing in this deal that's a huge benefit to you, and it's not written. And they're like, oh my God, should we put it in there? I'm like, no, you don't need to put it in there. They're like, what's the benefit? And I'll say, you never have to have sex with that guy again. <laughs> And they're like, oh, my God, I didn't think about that. You're right. <laughs> like, let's finish this divorce, right? I, yeah. What oh, they'll mention, and Jan, this is what I was going to ask you, they, they will, sometimes they'll come up in my conversations because there's been infidelity. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll come up with my conversation because they'll start dating somebody during the divorce process. And like Janet says, then they'll say, oh, my God, this is the best sex I've ever had. Seth, why didn't you tell me there are all these guys out there or Seth, this is amazing. Why don't you tell me there's these women out there? <laughs> because and I'm, like, I'm an because attorney. That's not my job. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, hello. Um, but to Janet's yeah. point, what I'm really interested in is we have the physical going on. We have the emotional going on. That's a lot to align, which makes it, in my mind, easy for things not to align. And then 
to cause harm to a relationship. Right, right. And just to jump between the, the, your two points, Jan, I, I don't mean to uh, hijack you, but this, I, I have some dear friends and they've been divorced for 10 years and uh, we were at a holiday party the other night and she, we were having a, a conversation kind of laughing and laughing and she said, you know what I've learned? I learned why I divorced because it was, a, we were talking about, you know, splitting sides, you know, mm-hmm. somebody gets the friends and, uh, and, and she said, I got divorced because we stopped having sex eight years prior. Like we stopped having sex because we couldn't figure out what was going on on how to how to find our physical alignment and the lack of intimacy drove a wedge in our communication, our ability to communicate. And so that's that's what I want to just kind of anchor here, that this is not just about finding a way to make your partner feel good, but more than that. Right. Definitely. I think what we need to realize is that sex is um, in the sexual medicine community, it's biopsychosocial. So it's not, you know, it's just, it's not like emotions only. It's not just like hormones. It's not just like your partner's an asshole and you don't want to have sex with him. It's a combination. So it's biopsychosocial, all, all of those things and the cultural, you know, um, impact and influences and what are, what do your friends think? Like that actually has an impact on your sex life, believe it or not. Is that what the social part is? Um, Your friends, religion, you know, you know, what society thinks about what you should be doing or what you should not be doing. All of those things, um, you know, factor in. And so it helps if we have that realization, if we have that knowledge, so that we don't think that there's like something wrong with wrong with you, you know, because People are going to have some sort of sexual issue in their lifetime. Most most people do, um, and it's not it's actually not abnormal. Um, but there's ebbs and flows, and so we have to have the realization that that the, all of these factors are involved, and so we can t- kind of take a look at, at you know what is going on for each individual person. So I actually litigated a case that Ooh. dealt with a lot about sex. And Interesting. the reason it was an issue in the case is in Florida, check your local jurisdiction, any behavior <laughs> of the parent okay. that you're complaining about or one side's complaining about, there has to be a nexus to the children. So on this case, the sexual behavior was so far outside of the norm, even though the behavior was not happening when the children were home, they knew nothing about it. They didn't see anything, hear anything. There was no photos of anything. There was no way for them to ever know. They were trying to make the connection in this case I was involved in that this is so far out of the norm that there should be a psyche valve because something's got to be going on that's going to be negatively impacting the children. And what I learned from that is there is no normal. There is a range of behaviors in all sorts of behaviors that we have that is quote unquote that most people do let's just call that the normal range but then people do stuff outside of the normal range but it doesn't mean that they're abnormal is that do i have that right that's about right i mean i think there's things that are we would consider fringe but you know the research is actually showing that it's not necessarily fringe when we talk about like bdsm um and there's actually very this is the nerd in me that came that's coming out but there's some actually very interesting things about like pain receptors, like the nerve um, and how BDSM helps with like with people who have chronic pelvic pain, for example. So 
um, a lot of those connections, again, it's biopsychosocial. It's not just, it's not just like, oh, this guy has like a fetish, then it's like off to the side. But, you know, there's some physiologic reasons why people might be drawn to certain things. And so, yes, I would agree that there is a range of, you know, what is normal. What a relief. Uh, <laughs> uh, but So at, at what point do... I, I think the the challenge that I'm having kind of wrapping my head around is I'm, I'm trying to put myself in a, in the middle of a relationship that is struggling with um, communication and sexuality and figuring out how to recover intimacy in a relationship that's struggling. Is it once you've like, like at what point is it are there efforts you can take to reignite for yourself um, a, a, a kind of starving intimate relationship? Is that such a thing? Yeah, I think in the work that I do is a lot is around individuals. So I work with women, uh, mostly, I will say only women, right at this point. Um, But a lot of what we do is helping that person to figure out what they want, because a lot of people don't really know, you know, Um, there is something called the orgasm gap which is basically a disparity in the amount of pleasure that um, heterosexual couples are like the, the female versus male are um, having in the relationship. And so a lot of times that gap where the, you're not really actually getting pleasure from sex then leads you to not desire sex and, or not be responsive to sex. So a part of it is just kind of figuring out why it is that you don't like what is your why <laughs> as to what, the reason why you're not wanting to have sex or you're not having sex and once you can figure that out for yourself i call it intimacy congestion there's there's things that are it blocking that are in the way of you being able to, to express yourself fully um then we can begin to communicate that with our partners because a lot of people don't know like they just stop for whatever reason and they and it, in themselves don't know. And right. so how and, are you going to relay that to your partner if you don't know your own situation? Do you kind of wake up one day and be like, oh, man, something's wrong. We haven't had sex for three years. Or is it? I've had, yeah, it's more. It can be more sometimes. Yeah. Right. But but when they first realize there's the problem. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I feel like you get so busy in your life and they're like, oh, my God, it's a problem. We haven't had sex for six months. And I hear yeah. that stuff a lot from my clients. Well, we haven't had sex for so long or whatever the case may be. And I was like, I always wonder what, at what point did you think, Hmm, we're not connected anymore. This is a problem. Do I want to stay in this marriage? Is there something wrong with us physically, you know, um, psychologically, socially, like, yeah. Like which one is a leading indicator, right? Like, right. Yeah. The chicken or egg situation. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think it's a tough question because sometimes people are so wrapped up in the other stuff that's going on that they really, truly don't realize it until something external. And so it, it may be that, you know, desire mis- mismatch, which is very common. You know, you have one partner who has a higher desire for sex or what we would call libido um, and the other partner doesn't. And so the obviously the one who has a higher desire and is mismatch, mismatch is going to realize it first, right? And if they're able to communicate it, and this is what a, I think is a problem, a lot of um, times they're not able to communicate that, and instead they'll, you know, go cheat, right? And so yeah, they're like, I'm not yeah. getting what I need, so I'm going to go find it somewhere else. So right. That's I'm only having right. sex with my spouse once a month, so the other three weekends, 
I'm out having sex with other people. Yeah. So that that's a like a point where instead of like going out, that's where you, the communication needs to you know take place. Um, but I think that's where we we tend to see it as like if that communication does take place and the person with a higher level of desire or libido, um, you know, communicates that, that's when we make that realization. If both partners are like low desire, like you just, well, then you're, ever... then you're, then there's two negatives to make a positive, right? <laughs> like eventually it's okay. Right. Maybe they're just roommates. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Like sometimes if they're, and nobody wants sex and they're just operating as friends and that it works for them. But you can be intimate in different ways without yes. sex. Sure. So they, that could just not be one of the things that if you have a different sexual drive and your partner does and it's once a month, yeah. well, it's once a month. We're not saying that's a problem. We're mm-hmm. saying people have different sex drives and, and different libido. So that mm-hmm. makes sense to me. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that it really is when, when your expectation meets a harsh reality that, <laughs> that is not at the level of your own, that's when we have frustration. And right. every, if, if you're meeting at the same level, you're probably going to be fine. I, so, I, so yeah, I'm sorry, Pete. I was yeah. just, Dr. Janet, you said like someone has to identify the problem first. So for our listeners, I know you can't list them all, but what might be some of those problems that there's, if they're listening now and saying, yeah, well, we haven't been having sex. Is it bio? Is it psycho? Is it social? Like what might be something you hear that people might say, or you help them realize about themselves that's getting in the way of this type of intimacy? What I see most commonly is, uh, it's a combination of desire and arousal, uh, desire, arousal, and pain. Those are probably probably the most common things. So when we talk about desire, again, that's your your innate um, or receptive like uh, re- receptivity to sexual stimuli. So if your your partner's like, babe, let's get it on, let's go upstairs, you know, and you're like, yeah, let's go upstairs, then your desire is good. Um, sometimes, um, the next kind of part to that is the arousal and that's how our bodies actually respond to the desire. And so, you know, if you're having changes in your body, like dryness where you need lubrication and that's not happening, it's sort of like a feedback loop. You're, you may have the desire, but if your body's not responding, then it's like, you're not going to get any, you're not getting the pleasure from it. So that might be one of the points. Uh, what we see a lot of, if you do have some changes in your body, you might have pain. And so if there's pain that's going on, when you associate pain with, you know, sex, you're not going to want to have sex. So it's going to kind of come back around. So a lot of times in the clients that I work with, I'll, they'll know that they don't want to have sex anymore, but they're, they're not sure where in that process it is. Um, and so it's kind of identifying, you know, where that is. I had one, uh, uh, client, a couple, oh, actually a patient of mine a few weeks ago who came in with like, I don't want to do it anymore. And as I talked to her a little bit further, she actually, you know, had desire for her husband. Like she thought he was gorgeous. Like she, they had a good relationship, uh, but her body wasn't responding. And so I gave her some treatments and she came back a few weeks later and was like, this is fantastic. You know, so it was one of those things where we had to figure out where that was. Another thing that happens is if you've got um, medical problems, for example, diabetes can cause nerve damage. And then you, if you have nerve damage, you may not actually orgasm. And so you might be doing all this 
all the steps up to orgasm and then you're not having an orgasm, it's sort of frustrating. And I, that's another thing that might make you not want to do it anymore. So all of those things, those are like some of the kind of physical things that could be taking place. Pete, you might not know this, I think you do, but according to the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, about 10% of children live with a parent with an alcohol use disorder. So sad. As a family law professional, this is an alarming statistic, and we want to make sure that your children are safe and are always with a parent who's sober. That way, we can make sure that parent can maintain a quality relationship with that child. Balancing this is one of the hardest things we navigate, as you know, in custody litigation. That's why we have partnered with Soberlink. Soberlink is an incredible tool uh, for those dealing with an alcohol situation in their divorce process. Uh, it is a device. It's like a breathalyzer, but it's a lot more than that. It's a device that you blow into uh, and the monitored uh, co-parent, monitored partner blows into the device, has facial recognition, it is tamper-proof, and it sends immediate signal uh, to those who need to know uh, when you are about to drive with a child, when you're about to experience a child on carpools, on pickups, on drop-offs and trade-offs, all of those those uh, times, it, it lets you know if the child is going to be safe immediately. There are two models. There's a Wi-Fi model that connects with your phone, and there's a cellular model. You don't even need a phone. It's instant right over the cellular network in North America. Soberlink is an incredibly powerful tool to help in your alcohol-related issues in your divorce process. And here's the thing what people are thinking, Pete, I don't have an alcohol-related issue. She just says I do. Well, that's the weaponization of he said, she said. And Soberlink eliminates that because you have an independent third-party verification in real time that will just cut those arguments out from under people because you're going to be able to say, there's no alcohol in my system. I'm focused on the kids. And when you do that, for two months, three months, four months, five months, six months, whatever the case may be, when you have the children, then that court knows that what the other side is saying just isn't true. And I get it. You might not want to do this. You might not think you have to do this, but it's going to save you time and a lot of money and a lot of grief. So I suggest to people, put your ego aside, do Soberlink, prove your sobriety, even if you shouldn't have to, because it's going to save you a lot of time and money. And you can sign up for Soberlink and get $50 off your device. All you have to do is visit Soberlink.com slash toaster. That's Soberlink.com slash toaster. And we thank Soberlink for sponsoring this show. How, how do you counsel folks uh, around talking about these issues with their partner, because I, I can imagine a situation in which it is much easier for someone to come to you and talk, talk about the physiological, the psychological, uh, you know, aspects of their current sex life and the troubles that they're having in a way that they cannot talk with their partner. And that, I think, you know, uh, you stop me when I start lying, but probably creates kind of an assumption feedback loop where suddenly the partner is assuming some things that might not be true and you're just not talking about it. So how do you how do you broach that conversation in a way that's that's healthy and progressive? You know, what I usually recommend is that um, 
if a woman has an issue, we've kind of worked through it and we have some education around it. She can then go to her partner and say, I've been working with Dr. Janet and I've you know, been concerned about the fact that I have not wanted to have sex, you know, and I, it was a concern to me and I want us to do better. You know, most, you know, 99.9% of people, when they, when you start with that conversation, like why it is we're having this discussion and what the goal is, like the goal is essentially to have pleasure. I was about, I was saying, I was thinking in my head, Dr. Jan, there isn't one guy in the yeah. world that <laughs> isn't going to be okay with that conversation. Exactly. Yeah. So, and by and large, like regardless what it is, and you know, a lot of times people find out that they, they are interested in using toys or interested in, you know, all different things that they haven't done before. And when they bring it to the partner, the partner is down. Like they're like, yes, let's, let's do that. You know? So, um, it's just, I think having the conversation and just getting the nerve up to, to have it. And, 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 and when you present it in that way, most people are very receptive and it, it can change your life, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> short term, long term, mm-hmm. too, I imagine. Um, uh, how'd you how'd you decide to get into this this line of work yourself? Why'd you write the book? You know, in medical school, in my residency training, I'm an OBGYN, obstetrics and gynecology. I deal with women and their vaginas <laughs> all the time, right? But when I started, um, when I started in practice, I kept seeing, you know, women all ages, 30s, 40s, 50s, you know, asking me about their libido, like, what do I do? And over and over, and I would ask my colleagues, like, hey, what do, I'm not really sure we really get trained on this. And there weren't really any good answers. You know, I had somebody tell me, like, tell them to get in some lingerie. And, and I'm like, it's not about lingerie. It's not about date night. You know, there's. We That's the other that. thing I was going to say is not one thing have you said, has it been like, we got to have date night or you have to like all these kind of social things that people talk about. That's not what you're talking about. You're talking about, there could be physical stuff. There could be social stuff. There could be the psycho stuff, but it's a lot more complicated than, Oh, we don't have date night. You're not saying that, Hey, our lives don't get busy, elderly or busy elderly parents were taken care of kids leaving off for college or still running them around or worried about applying to college and we're busy in our jobs. We have all those things. We all have those things all the time. But you're talking a bunch about a much more nuanced and in-depth conversation than date night. Right. Yeah. I think it's it's all of it. I mean, date night is important because, you know, you do have to set time aside for sex. Like people have this thing where it's supposed to be spontaneous. You run in the house and you get slammed against the wall and you just go like, it doesn't always go the down. The last like time that. that happened to me, I thought I was getting robbed. <laughs> I <Right>. was freaking <laughs> scared. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, sometimes we have to schedule. You put it on the calendar and you just do it. And that, that will get you there. But yeah. Okay. So, so you're asking your colleagues. They say lingerie. You're like, that's not a good answer. That's and not then, the then answer. Then what do you do? Yeah. So, I started to look into it and, you know, found that there wasn't a whole lot of research around um, this area. Now there's a lot more, um, the, most of the research that, you know, took place for women, um, only started after Viagra came out. So Viagra came out and then, you know, now there's yeah. all these partners that are like, what do we do? You know? So, and that's where the, the freaking drug companies, <laughs> like 
that's where the research for you know women's sexual medicine actually started. So um, yeah, I started you know I joined some organizations and I you know started looking into it and wanting to you know help patients a little bit more specifically. So that's how how that came about. That's awesome. Yeah, I I think so. It's just such a sh- it, it shouldn't be a surprise to me, but it is. I, I hear these kinds of conversations like there's a whole area of of sexual health that even oh, you're yeah. not even hearing about in medical school. Like the it is continually shocking to me that that there are these broad areas that we're afraid yeah. to talk about socially. We're afraid to talk about with our own partners, and you're in not medicine, even talking right. about it. It's crazy in yeah. the healthcare community. Yeah, Janet, when when, when you were having these conversations, either when before you got focused in this area of of practice or currently, do they talk to you, too, about, hey, you know, this is really impacting our marriage. I think I'm thinking about divorce is or are they really coming to you saying I'm trying to save my marriage or does that divorce, not divorce topic not even come up in the conversation? It, it's a combination. Yeah, I, I, I do see it. Like people are worried about the relationships. Um, and then there's some people who just like tap out. Like they just, they don't, they're like, I'm out. I don't want to do it. Like, um, but the reason I think is because they think that that's the end, you know, like a lot of people don't realize that there's options. Yeah. They don't realize what they're going through is very common and normal that there's solutions, you know? And so that, that um, is always like, it makes me happy when I'm able to like turn that light bulb on and, and say that, you know, it's not necessarily over, you know, uh, most of the time there are some things that can be done. You mentioned that you were able to help people and give them some guidance on things they can do to help their own uh, libido. Can you share a well, couple I of tips always, for folks who are listening? I always recommend like a self-care practice. So like, it's like, when you're moving so quickly, like you can disassociate from yourself essentially. And so what I, when, when I talk about self-care, I talk about getting back into your body and like connecting your mind and your body. And so like I, when people jump on, like they're taking care of themselves, but like they'll jump on the Peloton or they'll, you know, go for a run and they're just like in the run and they're not necessarily connecting with their body. And so I recommend a self-care practice that you're, that you do on a regular basis where you're able to connect your mind to your body, like, and the emotions that you're feeling, it shows up in our bodies as well. Just like, you know, if you're at a desk all day and you're back and get back pain, same thing happens in the pelvic floor. If you've got stressed and yeah, let's shake it out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you said that and I'm like, oh, I better improve yeah, my posture. You know? But we <laughs> oftentimes we're so into the computer or whatever it is that we're doing that we, we're not making that connection with our bodies. And so I think the first thing that everyone, man or woman, should do um, or non-binary <laughs> person should do is to get into their body and make that connection between the mind and the body. Because if you've got all that stuff going around, um, you may not, like, connect. There's actually studies, um, I've read the uh, studied just recently about like incontinence like if you meditate it actually can improve incontinence from meditation wow around open every door around there every problem there's something that meditation is going to help with that's amazing yeah so it, it is and so like if you 
have that like mind body connection, it, it will help to kind of spark that spark everything off. You know, it, it's sort of like the starting point to getting uh, that back. I, uh, I, I feel like there's, you know, that there's, I don't know what the background is of this, but if you're, if you're sad and you just force your face to smile, you'll suddenly be happy, right? That, that's, that's what I've heard. That's the, the sort of trope, the mm -hmm. stereotype that you're, you yeah. smile, it'll make all the, so what you're saying is don't just go home and masturbate all the time. Like that's, there are other things to do it, well, to, to do. Well, masturbation is a one way to do mind body. Yeah. Like oh, it's not a bad way. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. If you're, if you're mindful about it, like mindful man's masturbation mindful. is actually is that the sequel to your book? Gonna be helpful. That should be your next book. I know. I know. I just, it just rolled. It just, yeah. Mind, a mindful never, that happens a lot. I'm never going to forget. Don't worry <laughs> about it. Do you want to register the domain right now? Uh, mindful meditation. Mindful yeah, masturbation. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Uh, well, let's, yeah. uh, let's just, uh, where the, uh, Let's talk about the book. Tell us about the book. Tell us where you want people to learn more about you. What can we do to, to help you out? Okay. So, yeah, the book is called Why Don't I Like Sex Anymore? Um, if that sounds like a question that you've asked yourself, I actually um, have a website where you can download the book for free. Um, it's www.whydontilikesexanymore.com. And you can get the PDF there. Um I also have a sexual health and wellness shop online um, and it's intimatewellnessshop.com and that's where you can find all the products and um, devices to support your sexual health and wellness. So you can check us out in either of those places. Well, we sure appreciate your time here. Thank you so much uh, for hanging out with us and helping helping us two dudes figure out uh, what's going on. <laughs> I, I hope if... And, and, and this is why she works yeah. with women. <laughs> Case example number one. Uh, well, like, I, I, you know, it's like, I'm not dealing we with have, guys. I'm sure I, we have a broad audience uh, of, of listenership in terms of gender identification. And I hope this helps uh, uh, half or maybe even more than half of you uh, to figure out not just yeah. what's going on with yourself, but how you can help your partner to understand what's going on with mm -hmm. themselves and, and uh, be a part of that of that progressive conversation. Uh, Dr. Janet Williams, you're amazing. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thanks for having me. And thank you, everybody, for uh, downloading this show. We appreciate your time and attention. Don't forget, you can ask us a question anytime. Just head over to howtosplitatoaster.com and click the button that says, uh, I have a question. And uh, Seth's going to uh, answer it. Any of your legal questions. Maybe don't ask any sexual questions this time. <laughs> But maybe I will definitely give the wrong answer. <laughs> I will definitely give the wrong answer on that. <laughs> on behalf of uh, Dr. Janet Williams and Seth Nelson, America's favorite divorce attorney, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you right here next week on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with NLG Divorce and Family Law with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, How to Split a Toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of NLG Divorce and Family Law. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.